feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? Everybody and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And as soon as we started recording, our neighbors started mowing the lawn and the dogs started barking, which Austin says doesn't pick up, but I just think they've got really good timing. <laughs> they have excellent timing. And speaking of excellent timing, it is literally Halloween right now. It is. It is. We are going as sad people who can't wear costumes because people here still won't wear masks or get vaccinated. Which is weird because it's Halloween. You'd think they'd be all excited to wear masks because it's the best holiday. Mm-hmm. And... It is the best holiday. So guys, start wearing your mask. Get those vaccines because we want to throw our Halloween party next year. I God, I hope we can throw our Halloween party next year. I hope we still have friends next year to throw the Halloween party for. Not because they're dead, just because we don't get to see anybody. It's true. I've... I've only I've only seen you in the last two years before the pandemic even started. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, uh, I'm like, Austin, you have two D&D groups. I do. I've actually been way more sociable than you, which is bizarre because usually you're the one with like friends and doing stuff. Yeah. Well, my friends all have like kids and all that. My um, friends are all just irresponsible. Ir- my friends are all just irresponsible nerds. They throw the children in the backyard, put them on a, on one of those leashes that ties to a tree. Whoa, whoa, whoa. On a leash? No, no. It's just a free-range child. <laughs> they got one of those, like, shock collars on it, so if it leaves the yard, it gets shocked. An invisible fence. That's the word. You know that those don't work on cats and people need to stop trying? Huh. Cats I, are too fast for them. I did not know that. Even yeah. our cats? All cats. Um, basically, you know, a cat's reaction to when they get spooked is to run faster, where dogs is usually to be like, oh, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to end up with a cat in my yard all the time with a big, huge shot collar on him, one obviously made for a dog. And I called the owner and he was like, oh, it's my daughter's cat. I'm trying to teach her responsibility. I'm like, you keep your cat inside. But yeah, they uh, don't respond to it. And it can actually injure them pretty badly because they're made for things with much like thicker necks. Yeah, the more you know. Yeah. Um. So it is Halloween today. And I'm going first this week, right? Yes, you are. Okay, so usually for Halloween, we do something a little spooky. I think Austin still is. I am. And I was going to do something spooky, which I might still do in the near future. But a person I have wanted to talk about since we began the podcast is in the news this week and hopefully will be this coming week for a positive thing. So I am talking about Claudette Colvin today. Uh, And I'll talk about why Claudette is in the news towards the end, but you probably already know. If you came here and by the keywords Claudette Colvin, you know. So Claudette's story, actually, yeah. Claudette's story mirrors Clara Looper from back in our first episode. Uh, Clara did sit-ins at diners well before they were done by men (gasps) in the South. And Claudette refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white woman nine months before Rosa Parks ever did in Montgomery. Both of them. What? Yeah. So we never learned about Claudette Colvin. And there are several reasons for this, which I will also get into because it all ties together. This is not to say, of course, that Rosa Parks isn't important. The other diners, the uh, sit-ins weren't important. This is saying that it's not okay that we've left Claudette and Clara out of the narrative. Claudette Colvin was born Claudette Austin on September 5th, 1939 in Birmingham, Alabama. However, she was ultimately raised by her great aunt and uncle. She uh, ended up calling them mom and dad and took their last name of Colvin. She 
they uh, initially lived in, I think, Birmingham, but they later moved to King Hill in Montgomery. King Hill was a highly impoverished area. Like, you know, in Kansas City, there are those streets that you just don't go down. Yes. That was this neighborhood. And really, more than anything, it comes down to the fact that they were poor and black, but even middle class black people wouldn't go to this neighborhood because of, you know, the alcoholism and the fighting which Claudette was like I loved living there like she's like I'm not saying those didn't happen I'm saying these probably didn't happen at a much higher rate than anywhere else from the time she was young Claudette was aware that she was treated differently from white kids for instance when she would go to the store the clothing store she and her sister were not allowed to try on clothing or shoes Best case scenario the people who worked at the store would measure their bodies and pick out clothes but more often than not, they had to guess, and their aunt would trace their feet before going to the shoe store so that they could find shoes in the right size. And obviously, you know, no returns. Mm-hmm. When she started high school, Jeremiah Reeves, a student at her school, was accused of raping a white woman. Martin Luther King said that Reeves was told if he didn't confess, he would end up in the electric chair, and was told this in the electrocution chamber while being forced to look at the electric chair. So he confessed. It is widely believed that he did not rape her or the six other women he was convicted of raping. And he was sentenced to death. Remember, he was not accused or convicted of murdering anybody. I'm not saying rape isn't shouldn't be necessarily a death sentence, but they fought against it. He was a minor. He couldn't be um, electrocuted until he was 21. So they fought. He was executed at 21. So we know Claudette was already aware of the injustices around her when she got on the bus after school on March 2nd, 1955, when she was 15 years old. She, in addition to these things, was a member of the NAACP Youth Council, and she wanted to be president someday. Not of the NAACP, of the United States. When we were in school, this is how we learned about the the way the buses were segregated. White people sat at the front, black people sat at the back. That's what we learned. Yeah. In reality, everyone came to the front of the bus to pay. Then black people had to get back out of the bus, walk to the back doors and get on the bus. The drivers, if they didn't get on the bus fast enough, would sometimes just drive off without them, even though they'd already paid their fare. Additionally, the sign segregating the bus didn't mean the black sec- the back section was reserved for black people. It meant that they had to sit there even if no white people were on the bus. However, a white person at any point could demand they give up their seat. We also learned that Unless there weren't white people on the bus, they could sit wherever they wanted. Now, that might have been true in some cities, but it was not true in Montgomery. So that day, she headed to the section where she was allowed to sit with some of her classmates. The bus filled up. More and more black people were forced to give up their seats. Finally, they got to Claudette and three other black women. The other three moved. And Claudette was like, no, I don't, I don't want to. And then Ruth Hamilton got on the bus. Um, Ruth Hamilton was a very pregnant black woman who had not been on there when they were told to get up. And she sat down next to Claudette. I have heard Ruth Hamilton's story before, but I think it was told in a vacuum and Claudette was left out of that narrative, even though Claudette is the main character in this story. They told her to get up. She said, yeah, I paid my fare and I don't feel like getting up. And Claudette was like, yeah, today I wrote a paper about the 14th Amendment and this violates the 14th Amendment. She said, quote, History kept me stuck to my seat. I felt the hand of Harriet Tubman pushing down on one shoulder and Sojourner Truth pushing down on the other. She would later say, quote, if it had been an old lady, I would have got up, but it wasn't. I was sitting in the last seat. They said you could sit in. And I didn't get up because I felt like I wasn't breaking the law because there was a woman at the front of the bus who was standing, a white woman. 
There were also other empty seats around her, which would have required the white woman to sit in the same row as her. She said that the woman wouldn't do it, presumably because even sitting across the aisle would have made them equals. Interestingly, an activist named Joanne Robinson wrote the memoir The Montgomery Bus Bus Boycott and the Women Who Started It in 1987, I believe. She only briefly mentions Claudette in this story and doesn't mention the empty seats, but everyone else does. Little things like this are erasures. This is how people get erased from history. Oh my god. And plus, it's showing just how petty it all is like to be like oh i no you can't sit there that's the same row as me yeah and the then getting away with this bullshit oh my god these karens yeah and at no point did i find anything about the woman getting involved with the conversation it was the bus driver versus versus this little 15 year old because apparently she was quite small um and ruth hamilton who was like i am pregnant no no i am not getting up also there were other black people still seated who also wouldn't give up their seats for the very pregnant Ruth Hamilton, where today you are in some places legally required to give up the seat if somebody who's visibly pregnant asks you to. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. And that actually plays into what happens next. The driver calls the police. The officers got a black man to stand so that Mrs. Hamilton could take his seat. Basically saying if you were any kind of gentleman, you would have given your seat to her already because they saw her and they're like, yeah, we can't do this to her. And they're like, all right, Claudette, you get up. And Claudette said no. Now, this is where stories begin to diverge a little bit. Claudette says that she was polite and repeatedly just said, no, this is my right. No, this is my right. It is my constitutional right to remain in this seat, as per the 14th Amendment. She says the police kicked her repeatedly and then hauled her off the bus. Uh, There there were black people in the back saying, like, just get up, just do it, just do it, just do it. And white people toward the front saying, if we let her get away with this, then they'll take over. Meanwhile... Um, the police officers claim she assaulted them, which is one of the things she is tried for. And other people on the bus said that she did say that she fought like a tigress, but mostly that she yelled at them and tried to get out of their hands. Not so much that she like attacked them or anything. Meanwhile, she says that the police officers get her into the car and immediately begin making sexual comments about her. She's 15 and small for her age especially trying to guess her bra size. And it was also known at this time that police officers would get women into black women into cars and rape them. And one of them got into the back seat with her and she spent the whole time covering her groin and ready to fight, but she did not fight them. She was just really, really scared at this point. When she got to the police station, she was not allowed to call her aunt. She was just locked in the cell. To this day, she remembers, yeah, she's still alive. She still remembers the sound of the key locking her in. And she sat there and just repeated Edgar Allan Poe and Midsummer Night's Dream and one of the psalms to herself just to kind of keep herself calm. Remember all the things that she learned in school because she was incredibly studious, a straight A student, a really good kid, the kind of one that teachers want to have in their classes and everyone wants as a friend and just a good kid who decided that she was done being mistreated. And she thought that the police would just get on, yell at her for a while and get off. That's what had always happened. That did not happen this time. Luckily, she was on the bus with some of her classmates who knew her aunt and went to her aunt's house, told them, told her what happened. Her aunt does not have the money for bail. Uh, her aunt was a maid. Her uncle was a gardener. Now, it sounds like her aunt's employer, at least, was in support of the civil rights movement when a bunch of maids were getting fired because of the civil rights movement even existing. She didn't fire her. Uh, before they had a car, she would take her to and from work every day, things like that. Now, assuming that's all true, that does show that little acts of kindness go a long way, because Claudette has talked about how she remembers that very clearly. These are the people she tries to remember. 
Um, Because, yeah, you know, you're not saving the world or anything. You're just going out of your way, not to just not be a dick, but to be a good person. It's a little thing, but it matters. Austin is pretty much just staring at me. I keep pausing to give him a chance to respond. It's like, what can I say to (laughs) Usually I respond with quippy jokes. I cannot do that in this situation. No, no, you can't. But you can have, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Contributions? Thoughts? You can have, okay. The word is actually ejaculations. <laughs> um, where it's you shout. That's even more inappropriate. I know, I know. No, it's when you like shout something out all of a sudden and the word has just come to mean strictly its scientific meaning. Um, yeah, you can feel free to have responses to things verbally. Okay. Even if it's not a quippy joke, even if it's just a, oh dear Lord. Yeah. Back to the story. <laughs> So she got the pastor and the pastor and she together paid for her bail and her charges, violating segregation laws, disturbing the peace and assault of the police officers, which was a felony. She got home and her neighbors rallied around her in the following days and working class black people refused to ride the bus. This became the first time a bus boycott was talked about in Montgomery, Alabama, but this was squashed, which I'll talk about in a minute. Martin Luther King even came to Montgomery, and I believe he was 26 at this time and not really well known yet, um, along with several other members of the civil rights movement. And they also rallied around her trying to get all this overturned. The Women's Political Council. I don't know if they've come up before. I think they have. I think so, too. The Women's Political Council was a group of black women from the middle class part of town. Their involvement is vital to the story, but not always in a great way. Oh, no. They attended a city council meeting to speak to the police because they thought, A, we don't want this person as the face of the bus boycott we are eventually planning on having. And B, it is not yet the time for the bus boycott. It's never the time. It's always the time. Actually, I like the bus, but it was the time at this point. So they went to a city council meeting where the police commissioner would be, and of course the city uh, commissioners would be, to figure out what was going on. They were assured by the city and the police that they did not plan on ruining Claudette's life in any way. And her trial was just to try to figure out the truth of what happened. They had, they were saying they had no intentions of ruining her life and punishing a child for this. They were just trying to figure this out. Oh, I can smell the bullshit from here. Well, in the terms of the police commissioner, it may not have been. Um, he was actually relatively progressive for the time. As far as the city people go, it's a little less clear. But with that promise, they were able to convince people to not boycott the bus system, as this was the deal that they made. If you don't ruin her life, we will not boycott the buses. Edie Nixon of the NAACP called a young lawyer named Fred Gray, this was his first case, I believe, or at least it was his first one that he's known for, to represent Claudette. Nixon also got Rosa Parks involved because she was the NAAC youth group's leader, and he did not like how low the attendance was at the youth groups. So if Rosa Parks came in and hung out with um, with Claudette, who was a member of this already, and this was making the news, maybe more young people would come. It wasn't about getting this major figure in their movement involved. It was about getting more people in general, which is a good thing, but also kind of not maybe not always the best motivation. Like have her be there to kind of guide this girl who has not been a part of this movement as another woman who has been a part of this movement. Rosa Parks was actually very high up in the movement already. Huh. Which is important. Did not know that. It is important as well. Fred Gray 
aimed not to just to prove that Claudette was innocent, but also to prove that the segregation law was unconstitutional. This was the first time in Montgomery that a person had refused to plead guilty to the segregation violation. Claudette, 15 years old, said, I'm not guilty of that because it's illegal to begin with. In the time leading up to her trial, the police commissioner who promised they weren't going to ruin her life was thrown out of office and a zero tolerance commissioner was put in his place. By all accounts, the previous one probably didn't attend, intend for any of the following to actually happen. With the new commissioner in place, they changed the felony charge from a city-level felony to a state-level felony, which oh. had much higher ramifications and was just a bigger law to break. She was found guilty on all charges. Oh. Put on indefinite probation, and according to some sources, was put into foster care. But her aunt and uncle were allowed to be her foster parents. Basically just kind of saying, you did a shitty job of parenting her, but we also don't want to find other people. Which, again, she had never been a troublemaker. She had, this was her just looking at the world, looking at what happened to Jeremiah Reeves and going, this isn't okay. Indefinite probation. Oh, we'll talk about that too. Because remember, she's a juvenile. Yeah. Nothing, even the, even that police felony is not something to get you tried in adult court. Also, juvenile records are typically sealed, but because this actually did become national news for a hot second, and then it got squashed. Not by the white press. Like, this is a whole thing. Um, it's like, I am not trying to, like, besmirch anybody who was a major part of this civil rights movement because it was so important and the stuff they did was important. But also some of the ways they did it was kind of shady. And we need to recognize, as I've said repeatedly, there are no true heroes. There are no true villains, except for maybe Hitler. True villain. Yeah. Okay. Um, everybody does things that are kind of shady and fucked up. And that's what happened here with these major civil rights movement figures. They did a lot of really good, important things, but what they did to Claudette was fucked up. Claudette tried to go back to school after her appeal failed, because she was just put on probation, and continue her studies. But... By this time, the Women's Political Commission, whatever it was called, um, especially them, but not just them, had been spreading all of these rumors about her being a troublemaker, about how this behavior was common for her, about how they she doesn't represent the Black community. So she goes back to school, and her classmates and teacher begin to at best ignore her, and at worst mock her for her actions. The bus girl, I think is what they called her. Oh. And this, her teacher is the one who taught her about the 14th Amendment. That day she had written about how things like the day that this happened, she had written a paper about how these little micro legal, I don't want to call them microaggressions, micro, micro laws violated the larger law. She'd written a paper that day about it at her teacher's request and her teacher's even behaving like this, knowing that she had not been a troublemaker. And that makes me want to go back in time and punch some people in the face. Yeah. So she's looking at this and she did decide to do one thing that would have been considered, quote unquote, being a troublemaker at the time. Just one thing saying, quote, I won't straighten my hair until they straighten out this mess. She wore her, started wearing her hair natural because she's like, why should I fit into the uh, standards of beauty that make white people happy? If they're not going to, if nobody's going to help me, I'm going to start. And that also made black people happy because it at the time was like, we are trying to like not have people notice notice anything, which is understandable. And again, like I'm phrasing things really badly. I'm aware of that um, because this is not my story, but I'm really wanted to tell hers and I don't think it gets told enough. And hopefully the 
five listeners we have will learn <laughs> something. Um, so she started wearing her hair natural as her form of rebellion. Oh, no. Oh. She's such a troublemaker. Look at her doing all these horrible things. Yeah. Yeah, that's the most rebellious thing she purposefully did because she got pregnant by an adult. Uh, She has never to this day identified the father. There is some speculation that it was a man named Ed Klein, a white civil rights activist. Now, some sources were like, this has been proven. It has never been proven. And she to this day will not say who it was. At the time, it was because her father, uncle, would have killed him if she had found out. Um, But to this day, she's like, it doesn't. It's not something I want to share. Um, It was also rumored to be a light-skinned black Korean War veteran who was separated from his wife. Now, a combination of the two is the story that was latched onto. The father was white and married. And they're, of course, saying that she it's her fault for being a harlot, basically. Where she is like, yeah, we'd call that statutory rape today. And Claudette has made it clear that she was heavily informed that her pregnancy is a big part of why she did not become a major part of this movement. By the time she found out she was pregnant, Rosa Parks had already done this. So there was one source that was arguing that this couldn't have been part of it, but they made it clear to her that that's why she was left out of the rest of the narrative. That's why she wasn't invited into this whole thing, which is ridiculous considering what comes up because she should have been the goddamn hero of the entire movement at this point. But she was like, we called it, you call it statutory rape. We call it things that happen. So in school, we were told, and thus segregation ended. That was pretty much it. Just, I think we gave Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King all the credit. Yeah. Um, there and, was a court. Go, what was that? Yeah. Just, it's like, we learned. It just end. Nothing. That was it. It was like, we said, hey, this is a problem. And then boom, over. Yeah. We also learned the same thing about slavery. And we didn't learn about Juneteenth until what, a year ago? Yeah. I was, I was a grown ass adult. Yeah. Completely out of school. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not what happened. There was a court case, a state Supreme Court case called Browder v. Gale, which had Fred Gray as the lead attorney, and the plaintiffs were Aurelia S. Browder, Susie McDonald, Mary Louise Smith, who was also a teenager, and Janetta Reese. These were all women who'd been arrested on buses in Montgomery uh, in the time since. Rosa Parks, like I mentioned, had already done this as well, but they opted to leave her off of this because her her case was ongoing and they didn't want to make it seem like she was just there to get her other charges overturned. The defendants were Mayor William S. Gale, the chief of police, people from Montgomery's Board of Commissioners, the bus line, two bus drivers, and representatives from the Alabama Public Service Commission. Fred Gray, like I mentioned, he was 24 at this time, I think, was the lead attorney with the assistance of the NAACP and Thurgood Thurgood Marshall. Oh boy, do do I feel just unaccomplished? Oh, I know. And he later went on to work in either the House of Representatives or the Senate. I can't remember which because I briefly looked at him to find out if uh, if he's still alive, which I'll talk about as well. <laughs> the case was presented to three judges to argue the bus segregation was unst- unconstitutional. Brown versus Board of Education was used as the precedent. Claudette had had her baby by this time, who was a boy named Raymond, but she did not hesitate to be a part of this in any way. Like, she has this infant at home. She's, like, 16 years old and trying to do all of this and still goes in. And she was brilliant. The defense attacked her from every angle. And apparently she remained completely calm, stuck to her story perfectly, didn't rise to them trying to accuse her of having of being a part of this whole bus boycott ruse and distraction. She just calmly said, this is what happened. 
this is wrong. This is what happened. And the lead judge on this, Frank Johnson, said that Claudette's testimony was the primary reason he made his decision. And the state of Alabama determined this was, in fact, unconstitutional, which the U.S. Supreme Court would later uphold. And all three judges got death threats. Oh. Claudette's conviction stood. What? The law she was convicted under was deemed unconstitutional. She, her conviction stood. That's bullshit. We still see this today in states that have legalized marijuana, and we've still got predominantly young or young at the time they were arrested, black men and other men of color sitting in prison for minor possession of marijuana in states like Colorado, where you can just sit and smoke pot on your front porch and wave at the police officers. Yeah. Like we were in we were in New York and there was just a police officer standing calmly next to a giant like ice cream truck. But instead of ice cream, they sold pot. Mm hmm. So this is something I've always wondered. And I earlier said to Austin, like, I got a question answered today and I bet it's a question you've also had. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. How do the heroes of history get chosen? Ooh, yeah. How is there a committee? Oh, God, there's always a committee. In some cases, including this one, there was a literal committee who decided who got to be the heroes of these stories and who got left out. The committee included Martin Luther King, Joanne Robinson, who I mentioned earlier, wrote that book, uh, the Women's Political Council, and several other mostly male leaders of the civil rights movement. They literally discussed had a long conversation about having Claudette be the face of the Montgomery bus segregation movement, which later, of course, became Rosa Parks, who was, oh, Rosa Parks was also on this committee. Oh. Um, See, that's, I feel that's kind of cheating. Being on the own committee to select yourself is something. I don't know that she selected herself for this, but she did, like, help opt against Claudette. She actually really liked Claudette. Uh, she was expecting when she met her to see like this hulking teenager because the police were like, she assaulted us. She assaulted us. When in fact, she was like, she was tiny and looked way younger than 15. And the police officers are acting like she hurt them. So yeah, she liked Claudette. This had nothing to do with her like personal opinion of Claudette. Um, but yeah, these actual discussions happened. Should we have Claudette be the face of our movement? And I guarantee you these discussions happened constantly, and I guarantee you they happen today. We saw something, we saw some similar things in the Mercury 13. Like these discussions, the, re the quote I saw about it was not everything is a conspiracy, but some things are collusion. Ooh. Mm hmm. Because they weren't conspiring against her. They weren't conspiring to, to, they were colluding, though. They were having discussions about what the best face of their movement would be. A conspiracy is something that's more likely to be negative, like negative in intent. And a lie. <laughs> no, this is what happened. And the reasons they end up giving for not choosing Claudette. Her skin was too dark. Her hair was natural. She was poor. She was too young. Remember Ruby Ridges? Yeah. And ultimately, her pregnancy was shameful. Now, the pregnancy came after Rosa Parks, like I mentioned. They had already decided to have her not be the face, but I, they had not entirely ruled her out as being a part of this. And then she got pregnant and they ruled her out. Claudette, um, they decided over her to have Rosa. Rosa Parks was an adult. She was educated. She was married. She had a job. She was light-skinned. She, she did her hair like she was, quote-unquote, supposed to. She was more palatable to the audience they were trying to appeal to than a 15-year-old pregnant girl with dark skin and kinky hair. Uh, I hate these calculated decisions, this, but... Like they, can, the, it's one can... of those things where it's, you see that it's, in some ways, the correct decision... Yeah. 
correct and right may not be the same are not always the same thing especially because this meant claudette got forgotten not just from history but by the law freddie gray is the fred gray is the only one who continued to fight for her everybody else was like nope nope forget about her forget about her entirely while fred gray was like uh no and he continued to fight for her for decades he's still alive he's still fighting for her and she still loved him she did remain minorly involved for a little while, still attending the NAACP youth meetings and things like that. But she had a kid now, and she also looked at her life and said, I don't have a future anymore. Um, by some account, she dropped out of school. I couldn't verify that, so I'm not saying that definitely happened, but it, the evidence leans towards yes. She ended up moving to New York to get away from this, just like Rosa Parks ended up moving, up to, moving to Detroit. And it took her 10 years or so to get a job. Because she actually, it was national news. People did remember something about troublemaker Claudette Colvin. And so it took her 10 years to find a job where she ultimately ended up as a nurse's aide at a nursing home. Some sources say she ultimately became a nurse. Some sources say she was a nurse's aide the whole time, but she worked there for 35 years. And part of why she didn't see this future was not just that, but it was the indefinite probation. No one told her it ended when she turned 18. She kept like writing down and telling people she was on probation because she believed she was on probation until this week. What? She found out this week that she was not on probation and has not been since the late 1950s. She has spent almost 60 years believing she was still on probation. I would assume Fred thought she knew. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of people fucked up here. Because how would you expect a 15-year-old to hear the word indefinite and think anything else? Yeah. And apparently her entire trial, she was calm. She was even keeled. She, she believed that she was going to win and then they read everything out and she just began sobbing like her, she knew at that moment i can't become president i can't why should i even try why should i even try? Uh. she did try for a while at least and you know she was still a good kid and her aunt and uncle did not give up on her either like they kept her around like they were not bad people <laughs> in this story they are not the villains she's resurfaced in the news recently this past week because she is trying to get her record expunged it's been decades since this happened, but like I said, she spent this whole time believing she was on probation. She has been afraid to return to Montgomery because of this. She has not gone back home where she still has family because she thought she was on probation there and might end up having something bad happen to her again. Because after trauma like that, you never fucking know. Yeah. Her sister, Gloria, she has um several siblings kind of enter and leave the story at different points. Um, her parents gave her to her aunt and uncle because the dad, depending on the source, either ran off or went off to find work. I lean towards the latter because Gloria, her sister that I'm going to talk about, is younger than her. Um, she had a sister who moved with her to her aunt and uncle. Her sister was named Delphine. She died of polio right before uh, Claudette started high school. But that actually had nothing to do with discrimination. It was just bad luck because um, the hospital they went to was great. Um, so I, she wasn't a major part of the story other than it kind of just fucked fucked up uh, Claudette's thinking which oh. sucks yeah. um, like she was just she entered high school with that on her mind the last thing she saw of her sister was her sister being taken to the hospital her grand, her aunt and uncle wouldn't let her see her in the hospital because they didn't want her to remember her that way um, <clears throat> her sister Gloria has been leading this push uh, she says that in addition to being believing she was on this the whole time and uh, not being able to go to Montgomery uh, she Claudette currently lives in Birmingham in an assisted living facility. She is 82. And it is, from what I understand, assisted living and not a nursing home. She is still, like, she's still very bright. She is still completely with it. 
she's just 82 and she looks 82 in a, in a good way. Like she, <laughs> she looks like she has lived a life, but she looks great. Uh, her sister says that Claudette wants to move to Texas to live with some of her family. And she, since she's in Alabama, is like, I got to get this done now because it'll be way harder to do from Texas, especially yeah. from Texas, you know, as an older person having to handle all of this. And, which... yep. and Texas isn't going to help in any possible way. <laughs> and she also believes that having a clean record finally will make her a better role model for her grandchildren and great grandchildren. Uh, her son that she had back then died at the age of 37 oh. um, of a heart attack, but she did have another son at a different point. I don't know if the first one had any kids. Uh, her still living lawyer, Fred Gray, is going with her to file the paperwork or went with her. I'm not sure if it happened last Tuesday or is happening this Tuesday. Uh, he, Like I said, he was 23 when he represented her. He is 90 now. So he's still up and about and he has gone down to Alabama to do this with her, <laughs> even though he is not her lawyer, to be clear. Her lawyer is, um, <clears throat> I didn't write down his name, but her lawyer is younger and lives in Alabama. <laughs> okay. I don't believe Fred Gray lives there. Uh, the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office is also filing a motion saying the same thing, that it's time to get her record expunged and this never should have happened in the first place. Yeah. I do want to quickly mention before I wrap up, Irene uh, Kirklady. In 1944 in Virginia, she was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on the bus. I did not even know she existed until I was almost done with my research. But we only really learn about the Alabama bus boycotts and maybe a little in Georgia. Um, except she was uh, she was an adult. And she was on the bus because she was going to stay with her mom after uh, having a miscarriage. Like she was in a really bad place. They told her to move. She said no. The sheriff got on the bus. He told her to move. She said no. He said, well, I'm going to drag you off. She kicked him in the balls. <laughs> Good for her. And they ended up getting into like full-blown fisticuffs. Um, she said that she wanted to bite him, but he looked dirty. So she decided to scratch him <laughs> instead. And then he said, I'm going to get out my nightstick. And she said, well, I guess we're going to whip each other then. Yeah, she ended up in jail. But uh, she's a whole story for another time. But I didn't think I should say that Claudette was the first. I'm just saying she was the first in Montgomery. I like to end with a quote with the person I'm doing a biography of when I can. So this is what Claudette has to say. As a teenager, I kept thinking, why don't the adults around here just say something? Say it so that they know we don't accept segregation. I knew then, and I know now, that when it comes to justice, there is no easy way to get it. You can't sugarcoat it. You have to take a stand and say, this is not right. And I did. Which is why I love teenagers. Yeah. Adults, we aren't changing the world as much as we no. should. We, But these Gen Zers, you know, I know they get a bad rap right now, but... They're figuring shit out. Imagine what they're going through yeah. right now. Like, yeah, I re I remember growing up in a time of, uh, like you know, get, getting out of college or in just in a time of just absolute chaos and economic uncertainty. It sucks. It really sucks. I'm sorry. And we didn't have a pandemic going on. Yeah, we didn't have riots happening. We didn't have the Trump presidency through our high school years. Yeah, I mean, we had Bush, but it turns out in hindsight, it's like could have been worse. You know, I remember when he got out of office when Obama was elected, him saying, you know, I think history is going to look back on me and say I wasn't the worst president. And by God, he was right. Yeah. I miss Obama. I miss Obama so much. Like, can we, can we have him back? Can we have Michelle? Can we have Kamala? Can we have my, can we have anybody other than someone who just yells at reporters and leaves? But that's, you know, a whole other issue. Gen Z, keep it up. Like, keep doing the good stuff and chill out with the stupid stuff because... Right now, you can change things better than we Yeah. We're trying. We're still trying. But you guys are the ones they listen to more mm -hmm. than us. Because you're going to be the ones over the next several years who are going to be paying a lot more for things. Yeah. Uh, you've got a longer lifespan than we do. 
more money over time. All right, are you ready for some questions? I am ready for questions. All right, these are questions about whether something would be on the test, not what the answers are. Claudette Colvin independently refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery bus nine months before Rosa Parks did. Yes. Rosa Parks was purposefully chosen to refuse to stand. The action was planned, not spontaneous. No. Yeah, we were taught it was spontaneous. No, we cannot get rid of that that image. Like, even I think Doctor Who, like, Doctor Who actually dug into this a little bit, if I remember right, because yeah. you see her talking to other people a little bit, but for the most part, it doesn't, it looks still like it lined up in school a bit. Although, have you noticed that when we read stuff by British people or watch by British people, they have a stronger grasp on American history? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Claudette was purposefully not made the face of the Montgomery bus movement for a variety of reasons that are icky. Purposefully, by several civil rights activists, we still are taught are pure heroes. No, we cannot. That I'm will not be on saying the that these are not heroes. I'm saying that nobody is a pure hero. Yeah. And at the very least, if they didn't want to make her the face of it, fine. That is, That was the correct, if not the right, decision. They could have done more for her. And... Uh, Browder versus Gale is the reason the Montgomery bus segregation ended with five women and girls bringing the case to court. Yes. And no one told Claudette her probation ended eight years. That should be on the test, but it probably won't. I mean, it's a good thing to know. Like, yeah. if you are arrested at any point, regardless of your age, once, if you are convicted, even if you're not, ask questions. Make sure you know what is up. Like, even if you've got a public defender... Ask them questions. Make sure you understand everything because they are using so much high-level legal language and you are in a highly emotional state. Yeah, it's like, dumb this down for me. Like, explain this to me in English. Yeah, it's like, even if you're a lawyer, chances are you are kind of in a state of shock during all this. Yeah. So that is the story of Claudette Colvin, which I've wanted to tell since day one. And I know it's it's both a bummer and it's like a, it's kind of a privilege to be able to talk about her and bring her story to however many people hear this. And also, I'm so thrilled to see that Montgomery District Attorney is actually saying, like, this was ridiculous and this should have been done long ago. Yeah. But I'm also pissed because no one told her she was off probation. And also, how did that never come up on a background check? Yeah. Like, she would have, I think she probably was, like, writing on documents that she was on probation. Are you hearing the chiming noise? Yeah. Yeah, it's our voices echoing in the wall because the wall is not insulated. Oh, okay. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago where you were like, I don't hear anything. I'm like, the walls, there's bells in the walls when you talk. See, I think it's because you sounded like a crazy person when you said it. There's but, bells in the walls. Yeah, so Claudette Colvin, we really hope that you get everything expunged. I think she will. And I hope that you have a good another 20 years living in Texas, at least, like being happy and getting getting some of the life you deserved all along because you are you were and are a badass. And I would have been lucky to have you as one of your as one of my students. Yeah, even at 82, she would love to have you as one of her students. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, oh boy. Well, Are you moving off some off to something a little less heavy? Yeah, and it's like it's like I always hate it when you do something super heavy and I have to follow it up with something purely ridiculous. I am so glad that you do that. Can you imagine if like we did if I did this and then you talked about the extermination of a particular ethnic group? Well, like, it actually, um, now that you mentioned it, there is a little bit of that in uh, my piece. Oh, yeah, you can't. It's get been a, a while since we've uh, had a good genocide on here. Hey, I'm talking about something that happened in America. There's going to be some genocide. Mm. Genocide. I don't hear it. <laughs> Sorry, it's a 30 Rock reference. If you don't know, it's a Jenna's website. Jenna's side. Genocide. <laughs> genocide. I, I don't hear it. <laughs> so we're recording this on Halloween, but 
uh, and um, in fine tradition, you're not going to hear this on Halloween because we're bad at scheduling things. And also because it's Halloween, I'm going to talk about a monster or a cryptid from folklore. All right. And this is actually one that does keep popping up in pop culture, in TV shows, movies, books. Like there's even a movie coming out that I really want to see starring this particular monster. Uh, Werewolf. I'm going to talk about the Wendigo. Oh, okay. I've already done Werewolves. Yeah, I know, but you I thought you were going to do it again. Werewolves 2? No, this is... Uh, this were, is cop, Wolf Cop. Wolf, another Wolf Cop? Uh, wolf Cop 2. Yeah. No, because it's the same Wolf Cop. It can't be another Wolf Cop. I think the title is another Wolf Cop. I think it's Wolf Cop 2. Okay. So also, yeah. if you have not seen Wolf Cop, do yourself a favor and go watch Wolf Cop. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So, the Wendigo. This is an Algonquin, uh, which are uh, a group of... Uh, Indigenous American tribes covering the Northeast, Canada, and the Great Lakes area. Uh, it's Algonc- it's Algonquin uh, evil spirit that possesses people and drives them to cannibalism. Actually, this is one of my favorite pieces of folklore. Yeah. So yeah, the Wendigo, uh, which by the way, as I was reading this, I actually had to go look into it to see which spelling was correct. There is uh, Wendigo with an E and Wendigo with an I. Both are apparently the correct spelling. It's interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So... That was just for Maddie, because I could hear her brain wheels turning. I actually didn't know there was an E spelling. Yeah. And so it's yeah. the second E, uh, W-E-N-D-I-G-O, not yep. the first one. So traditionally, this is an evil spirit that is sometimes depicted as humanoid that possesses people and drives them to feelings of insatiable hunger and cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, it corrupts the greedy people in extreme hardship and hunger or people who are isolated and in a moment of weakness, it turns them into a monster. Um, in some traditions, it's you turn into a Wendigo if you resort to cannibalism during a tough winter, then you are cursed to be eternally hungry for human flesh. Mm-hmm. Now, the description of the Wendigo changes basically from wherever you are. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of descriptions. Um, some, it's a gaunt emaciated like figure with like dried flesh peeling off sunken eyes it's almost skeletal others depict it as like with antlers and fur and other animalistic characteristics Mm -hmm. Uh, even others say that wendigos are fleshy corpulent giants just like immensely fat just eating constantly that grow bigger and bigger as they just eat everything isn't it fascinating how one piece of, like, a group's mythology can be changed like this? Like, it's just really fascinating to kind of see it. And I'm, I'm not sure if this is within the tribe or if this is by external people who are doing it and they have one piece of oh, mythology. This is, uh, but... Yeah, it, it, I mean, this this was a group of people that covered a very wide area that was mm-hmm. multiple tribes. And the story changed depending on who was telling it and where, because it's, it's an old story from... Oh, also, to be clear... And I, t- I said this to my students, when I use the word mythology, I will use that with any religion and any set of beliefs. Uh, so I will say Christian mythology. I will say Jewish mythology. It doesn't mean it's fake. It means that this is a yeah. word to kind of cover belief systems. I, this could be a completely real creature. And actually, I kind of think it is. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get into that. So, um, yeah, but a, a common across it was like fangs, a foul body odor, and a stench of decay. Uh, some of the more fun descriptions I found were... I think that was one of my roommates once. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that one. Not any 
uh, diss to the Algonquin people. Yep. But he did smell. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite was um, from from the Al- from Algonquin tribes in uh, like around like Quebec in that area. Mm-hmm. Was it was a giant with a heart of ice, sometimes thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes. You know, I bet if I wonder if the story changes based on what is found in the area. Um, like that's what if they were to find a human body somewhere, that's what it would look like if it had been out for the winter. Yeah. And oh, it, then there's the Ojibwe tribe. Uh, it was a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. What is with the liplessness? That's horrifying. I mean, it's you'll find that a lot with like bodies that have been out for a while. Like, oh, I know. I'm just talking about like. Peel back. Yeah. Oh no, I know that with like the decaying bodies, but like having it be a part of this monster's like well, visage—that's terrifying. If you're describing like as a horrifying monster that makes it so much better. Uh, its breath was a strange hiss. Its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man woman or child who ventured into its territory. Why are its footprints full of blood? I don't know. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. Yeah, that's the version I know. Um, And I think there are some where they made deals for it. I, now I'm thinking about it, though, I've never heard of a woman becoming a Wendigo in any of these oh, stories I've heard. I, you'll hear about one. Okay. And, the, of course, the big, like, theme beyond just its appearance was that the Wendigo is always connected with stories about winter, isolation, and mm-hmm. hunger. It is tied to all of those things. And um, stories and accounts of Wendigos are pretty grim, as you might expect from a cursed, eternally hungry cannibal monster. Right. Uh, one story has a party of hunters coming across a giant Wendigo and basically it killed a bunch of them, but one was too small and not fat enough to be eaten yet. So it was dragging him along, like force feeding him and it cut his hand to see if he was fat enough to eat yet until one day kind of like sent him into a village to try and lure people out to feed the Wendigo. And he ratted on it and said, Hey, there's a Wendigo out there. And he convinced them that there was. So they went out and killed it and they, in, they cut off its legs as it was like still like begging to eat them. And when they came back thinking it was dead, it had in fact survived and was pulling the marrow out of the bones from its severed legs and eating them. So it was just pulling marrow out of his own like leg stumps to eat. Cause he I was, was so hungry. I was trying to figure out like, wait, wait, who's his are we talking about? Yeah. The one own legs just pulling. Yeah. And so then they, uh, then they cut it into pieces and like, spread it around just to make sure it was completely dead. The f- like I've been saying they need to do with Michael Myers this whole time. Yeah. Uh, the first European accounts of Wendigos actually come from a Jesuit missionary in Quebec in 1636. He actually wrote this back to Paris. Uh, this devilish woman added that the Wendigo had eaten some Atagamonican. Uh, these are tribes that live in north of the river that is called Three Rivers. Did you look up how to pronounce these or are you just doing your best? I could not find a pronunciation for this one. Okay, so guys, we're just doing our best, just like with I'm, everything I'm else. Trying. I'm trying really hard. Like I, just, I, like, I know earlier I buzzed through Sojourner Truth's name. I know it came out wrong. Now I'm paranoid that it came out uh, wrong again. And, and that he would eat a great many more of them if he were not called elsewhere. But that Achen, sort of a werewolf. So, like, the, the French were acu- 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 acquainting this to 
something from their folklore and mythology of the werewolf. Which, by the way, this was at the time of the werewolf trials, so mm-hmm. he thought this was completely realistic. Oh, oh th- so they've got some type of werewolf problem. Lugaru. Yeah. And would come in his place to devour them, even up to the French fort, that he would slaughter the French themselves. Not the French. Not the French. We've got another Jesuit account from 1661. Uh, what caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake. namely that the men deputed by our own conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations of the North Sea and assigning them to rendezvous, where they were all to await our coming, had met their deaths the previous winter in a very strange manner. So they hired some people to basically get people from around the Hudson Bay to come meet them, and the people they hired had died. Uh, These poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all three of these diseases. Hypochondria? Yeah. Hypo- hypochondria. That's such a weird thing to put in there. <laughs> yeah. Which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite. Ever seeking fresh prey and the more greedily the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies and as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such an act of murder they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. These are the French guys? Yeah, so these were... Sounds uh, like rabies. It might have been. <laughs> but no, they were just driven to just acts of extreme cannibalism. Just an unstoppable, to the point where the only cure was to kill them, because they were just... I mean, that makes sense. If somebody is eating everybody around them, yeah. I would recommend killing them. Now, this wasn't viewed as by the Catholics as a folktale at the time, because evil spirits and werewolves were... Like, especially even when, like, French missionaries. Like, yeah, this is something that happens. Mm-hmm. Like, this was around the same time as the witch trials, the werewolf trials. And so when they heard about the reports, they would talk about Wendigo killing people. It's like, yeah, Wendigos are killing people. It's like, they accepted it as real. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's the ca- uh, the Catholic in me, but I do too. And it also wasn't just the church reporting this. The Hudson Bay Company reported many cases of cannibalism and reports of Wendigos well into the 19th century. So we have hundreds of years of reports of cannibalism and Wendigos in Canada and the northern U.S. Now, the Wendigo myth is you know, talking from Canada, the Northeast, and the Great Lakes, which is a cold place that can be pretty bad in the winter. Mm-hmm. Like, And that might even just be an understatement, because I went to a wedding in Bemidji, Minnesota, in February when I was a kid, and wearing my dress clothes... And walking from the car into the church was unbearably cold. Like, the air was attacking me. Bemidji's a fun word. Bemidji's a very fun Oh, man. Minnesota's got some fun names to say. Unlike Wisconsin. <laughs> I still have no proof that Wisconsin exists, despite having relatives who claim to be from there. I've even been there and I'm sure it exists. I've never been there. And also, when I try to remember all 50 states, that's the one I forget. Which means it doesn't exist. No. And it's also important to point out that when I say I was real cold, 
I'm not from like a particularly warm place like Florida. I'm, I'm from Kansas where it's fairly regular for it to get below zero and stay below freezing most of the winter. It's not warm here. And I was freezing. No, like I've seen those pictures of Minnesotan houses where like the entire front is just ice and they can't get out. Yeah. So you can see how an entire cultural belief could be formed around how cold it gets and how scarce food can be in a long, hard winter and how an entire cultural specific syndrome, sometimes called a cultural bound syndrome or a folk illness could form as a result. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, a cultural specific syndrome is actually kind of interesting thing. It is, according to Wikipedia, (laughs) a combination of psychiatric and somatic symptoms that are considered to be a recognizable disease only within a specific society or culture. So things like um, in uh, Malaysia and the Philippines and other parts of Southeast Asia, there's uh, running amok, A-M-O-K, which is basically where someone with no history of violence or anything will just snap and violently attack people. And if he can be like taken down peacefully and like kept taken alive, which usually they aren't, usually they are killed or they commit suicide. If they're taken alive, they don't remember this event. Right. It is kind of an accepted like, oh yeah, he ran amok. And usually they get like a lighter sentence or in modern times, they just get psychiatric help. It drives me crazy when a muck is spelled like a muck. Yeah. M-U-C-K. Because A-M-O-K is correct. Or. I mean, a muck is acceptable now, but. Or in like the Mediterranean, Latin America and the Middle East, there's the evil eye in which someone will like, you know, use the evil eye against you and Mm -hmm. it'll start to like affect you physically. Mm -hmm. And you won't feel better until you get certain things to help ward off the evil eye. Yep which are different depending on where you are. So, No, I know people from cultures where yeah. that is a very real thing. And yeah, it's, I would never say I don't believe them. Yep. Because... Or, or things like how people who are possessed by demons uh, and they get an exorcism and all of their symptoms go away, it might have some sort of psychosomatic component where they think this is the cure. And, well, and what a possession looks like varies by culture and yeah. varies by religion. Like a Catholic one looks very different from other religions' possessions. So uh, Wendigos is one of these. It is Wendigo psychosis. And it might be one of these cultural specific syndromes. Uh, and also, um, unlike what those French missionaries said, there actually are places that treat it. And sometimes if you're caught and you can like basically be reasoned with and they can get rid of the Wendigo from you. And you can live your life. Uh, one treatment I read about was drinking a cup of very hot bear fat. Ew. Yeah. I mean, well, if it works, it works. I mean, it's better than being a cannibal. It's actually the very hot part that got me yeah. more than the bear fat part. Basically, That's going to burn. Like, you can't eat anything after that. That's why it works. Yep. But again, if there there were incurable cases and the only option for that was death. Yeah. But again, we're not entirely sure if this is a real syndrome in which people who would be alone in the woods or isolated would resort to cannibalism. People who would like overwinter with a group of people and food got scarce would become cannibals. And it might be that, Oh, it's a Wendigo was their way of processing the guilt of cannibalism or murder. Wasn't there a guy who like showed up in his village, like the nearest town? Like this was not even that long ago. I don't think. Yeah. It was in the 1920s. And he had eaten his family. He had eaten his family. Although they think they might have been dead already, I think. At yeah, least with some we're, of them. we're not entirely certain. But yeah, he wasn't even that far from town. Like he, Yeah. They could have walked to town to get help, but he ate his family. Yeah, and then he went into town and told them. Yeah, and that he, uh, that he they thought it's a Wendigo. But we're, we're not entirely sure if this even is a cultural specific uh, syndrome. 
it might not be because we only have one case that was documented and investigated by a psychologist. Was it that guy? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was another 1920 case involving a young woman who uh, was claiming that she was a Wendigo, but she was just violently lashing out at people and thought everyone was trying to kill her. Mm, okay. So it didn't fit the symptoms commonly associated with Wendigos. Yeah. And this is the one real case we have to look at. So we don't know. And it's and we probably will never actually encounter a modern case of Wendigo psychosis. Does Wendigo psychosis, like I actually genuinely don't know, does it look like the symptoms of um, Bikuru? No, it does not. Because like people after after committing cannibal or eating other people in countries where that's normal, they, depending on what happens, they do sometimes go completely crazy. And it's not just because of the idea of eating a person. Uh, yeah, it's uh, because of some kind of bacteria. Kuru, it's, a, it's a prion. It's basically a protein that messes up your brain and like kind of like causes spongiform encephalitis. Um, that's te- they can test for that. That's not the case. But no, I was asking if the yeah. symptoms look like it. No, they don't. It's just... A lot, they think it is just related to isolation, winter, depression, and just... Well, like, I was thinking, like, it could very well be, like, after somebody does eat another person, if they develop, it, whether it's a guilt thing or an actual, like, bacteria or parasite or something that makes them act like this, it's the easiest way to explain it when you don't have the yeah. science for it yet. It might be, but we don't know, and we probably never will know, because the cultures that have Wendigos in their beliefs have are largely gone... Or have been or mostly absorbed by American and Canadian culture. Mm-hmm. But even though we're not going to see a case of it probably ever again, because again, they're they're just gone. Like we have stomped out these beliefs mm-hmm. pretty violently. Yeah, it's pop culture that's kind of brought it back. And yeah, what I know about Wendigos, I can see it. Yeah, but yeah, they're in pop culture. You'll see them in TV shows like Supernatural. Yeah, that is episode two, I think, with the guy who played Finn Hudson on Glee. And then there's movies like the movie Antlers by Guillermo del Toro that's either out now or coming out soon that I really want to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, a movie where it's kind of ambiguous is the, is a 90s movie called Ravenous. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that movie. Just unironically, it's not a good movie. Mm-hmm. And it's also being used as a symbol by lots of indigenous artists and writers mm-hmm. when they are talking about the residential schools in Canada. Yeah. Which is a very apt metaphor for the way these institutions would devour children and spit out bones and just cause death for just greed and pure destruction. And it works very well as a metaphor. And it wasn't just there. That was all across the United States and Canada, not just in that area. Yeah. So, yeah, that was Wendigos. I had a pretty short one, but it's okay. I think we're fine. You have not mentioned Hocus Pocus yet. Oh, I'll get there. You just, I'll get there. So are you ready for questions? I am. Okay. Will the fact that Wendigos have significant historical evidence for existing be on the test? (sighs) Like more so than like Bigfoot. Okay. No with an asterisk. Um, I think it depends on the, on the purpose of like, if it's a K through 12 class where you're learning about the Algonquin people and their myths, they we like to pretend the people didn't even exist or don't even exist. So obviously we're going to say this isn't possible. But if you're doing a study on folklore or you're doing an actual like in-depth thing with Native American studies, that'll probably come up. Uh, will the fact that the Catholic Church was, church was very concerned, concerned about Wendigos for a few hundred years be on the test? <laughs> no, and I went to Catholic school. We pretend none of this happened. Will the fact that Wendigos might be lost to time be on the test? 
No, that's cool, though. And will the fact that the Sanderson sisters knowing what a muck was <laughs> in the Halloween classic Hocus Pocus be that the fact that they knew this was anachronistic be on the test? No, and you haven't talked about why that. Why, so, why is that anachronism? What? Let me tell you why. And this is serious. He was and like yelling this at me. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking I about was, right now. I was looking into this. I couldn't find any reference to this being anachronistic on any website. So I might have been the one to discover this. And I'm really excited about it. Did you look on Malaysian fan sites for Hocus Pocus? I did not look on Malaysian fan sites. Because Europeans didn't encounter a muck or even the word a muck until 1770 when James Cook wrote about it on his journey around the world. James Cook comes up a lot. Yeah, he does. Which, by the way, was nearly a century after the Sanderson sisters were executed in the movie. So they would never have heard the word amok before they died. And then when they come came back, they wouldn't have heard it either. So Sanderson sisters would not have known what amok was. Next, you'll be telling me that they would not have known the song I Put a Spell on You. I feel like that's a bigger one. But this one's <laughs> minor and nitpicky, and I truly feel like I could have an article on oh, BuzzFeed. Yes, folks, if you're listening to this and decide to write about this new anachronism that was found, please credit Will This Be On The Test yeah. podcast at uh, all of our socials is on the test. Yeah, pod. I guess if you want to interview f this, interview me about this or like, or maybe Screen Rant. Screen Rant would be all over this. Uh, just if you want to interview me, just like tweet, we'll answer. I will totally do an interview. It'll be I'm about an five minutes on nothing. It's great. It'll be about five minutes, most of which he'll spend telling you about the songs he sings to our cats, and then, <laughs> then yep. he'll he'll say, "I'll be telling you, I'll, please. I won't be singing them the songs. I need to introduce our cats, which, much like in the musical Cats, is done through song <laughs> and dance." We spent part of the day yesterday determining which of the cats from Cats our cats are, <laughs> and we got into an argument about it. <laughs> We had a severe disagreement and had to drop it. We're adults. Although we do agree that Fezzik and Gigi are Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser. So I guess if someone wants to find me to interview me about my many great ideas, where can they do that? Well, they can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, which is the fastest way to reach us. On Instagram at OnTheTestPod. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod. Or you can search for Will This Be On The Test? And we are the... Our logo has a statue face palming in it or on our website on the which I hope is still there. I should probably check because I'm trying to move it and I suck <laughs> at the Internet. We're trying our best. Uh, yeah. Twitter is the best way to find us. Basically, yeah. uh, tweet at us on the test pod. If you want to talk about a muck or uh, different uh, ways we have hurt people by ignoring them in the past whether it's native people or other people of color <laughs> or women or women or lgbtq people basically we're here to tell stories that don't belong to us but trying to get them out there anyway yeah, um, yeah we're in a weird gray area of the internet i like it yeah so is running amok one of those phrases that true crime groups should get mad about then Oh my god, it is, I guess it is kind of appropriation. They should get mad about it. Well, it's not appropriation, it's uh, both appropriation, I guess, and ableism. Yeah, oh, and they're, more importantly, they're um, they're ignoring the culture this comes from. Yeah. This is an actual illness, and you are just misusing it. Oh, we've been, we've been online too long. <laughs> yeah, this this past year, guys, this past year. Yeah. And but it's like, also getting... I've mentioned on here that I have OCD, and they make you censor OCD if you put it on these groups, and it really pisses me off because i'm like my 
having like OCD is not a slur and it's not yeah. a curse word. I know it's a uh... none of the words in there are either of those. Stop it! You're making people more afraid of me. And there are different reasons to be afraid of me than that. So there's so many better reasons to be afraid of her. Yeah, you should see how fast I walk, and you should hear how fast I normally talk because this is nothing. Yeah, she slows it down for the podcast, big time. All right. So I guess on that note, because I think uh, it's getting close to candy time, and I want to be able to hand out candy to children. It is not. It's not even four yet. We're in Kansas. Everything closes at five. They want to get those kids out the door and getting their candy. But we do need to order in dinner because I have not eaten today. And she is hungry. The other theme of our podcast. Yeah, I'm always, like, we always record at a time where I have not eaten in, like, hours. And then by the end of it, I'm like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. So on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed. Happy Halloween. Woohoo!